Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we pick up right where we left off in Mark chapter 3. In verses 13 through 19, this is where Jesus appoints the 12 apostles, and he grants them limited authority to do what he had been doing all by himself up till now, preaching the gospel and casting out demons. Well, who were these men? What was their job? Are they more divine than other Christian men and women? Were they perfectly holy? Some people regard them with almost as much esteem as Jesus himself. But what is the proper way that Christians should understand their role as apostles and regard these men now? Pastor Jim will guide us through questions like this as we delve into the list of names of the 12 apostles. Here is today's slice of the message entitled, The Delegated Dozen. Come join me, please, as we continue on in the Gospel of Mark. Today we come to chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, and in doing so, we arrive at the day in the ministry of Jesus when he designated the twelve apostles. I've called it, as you can see by the sermon outline, the delegated dozen. Maybe I should have changed that to the designated dozen. He designated them as apostles. And I want to promise you, this is more interesting than you might think, saying he's preaching on a list of names. Well, it's not the book of Leviticus. Um, We are going to be more interesting than you think from looking at this. It has become a tradition in many places to represent the apostles in, or in paintings and reliefs and sculptures and stained glass. You see them especially in Roman Catholic churches and Eastern Orthodox churches where the apostles are venerated and they are believed to play a role in answering prayers or even in helping to achieve salvation, as if they are stepping stones to help you get to Christ and to God the Father. The apostles are very often represented in stained glass. The artwork in these kinds of things is uh, almost always skillful. It is ornate and in not so much the stained glass, but in the other things, usually what I would call gaudy. Now, that may be a judgment of my sophistication as a student of art. I'll wear that. It's okay. In every Russian Orthodox building, uh, every Russian Orthodox church building that I've ever visited, and that's quite a few, there are always icons, and I can't believe that anybody could read the Bible and then say that they worship via icons, Uh, It's another word for idol, but they have icons or visual reputations, icons representing the apostles, and they're almost always high up on the walls 
just below Christ and Mary, but above everything else. The portrayal, and everything is very symbolic, the portrayal seems to say that they are part of a hierarchy that you need to work through your way through in order to get to God. As you see these portrayals of the apostles and associates of the apostles, they are always depicted with halos. That is an exercise in fantasy and superstition. Throughout such churches, there is the ubiquitous smell of incense and of burning candles. There are always people there moving around, bowing to and praying to lesser icons in what is a blatant modern example of violating the second commandment. They are worshiping those things. They say they're worshiping God through those things, but it doesn't fit. People come, they sometimes weep, they pray to an icon, then they kiss the icon and move on to the next one. Sometimes they additionally light candles or burn incense. And it isn't only to Jesus and Mary and the twelve apostles. There are hundreds and hundreds more to whom prayers are offered in Eastern Orthodox churches and in Roman Catholicism. They are powerful examples of fantasy land spirituality. You say, but it's based on the Bible. Well, yeah, it's based on the Bible. There are some biblical concepts there, and they might not even be too bad on defining the Trinity, but they have deviated miles away from the essentials of the doctrine of salvation. Like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, these people teach a form of works righteousness which can never justify anyone. Now, that's the, the fantasy land version. This morning I want to take you to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, and see where Jesus designated the twelve apostles. It was very significant that he did so. And it was very significant that he designated twelve. Further than that, the kind of men that he chose is also very significant. Now I want you to start by understanding the, the broadest picture of the background. What was being taught to the people of Israel in Jesus' day? Remember, early in his ministry, Jesus went to Jerusalem. He went into the temple. He made a scourge of cords and he used it and drove out those who were selling sacrificial animals at exorbitant prices. And he overturned the, the tables of the money changers who were also profiteering off the pilgrims who came for certain holidays in Jerusalem. He did the very same thing again just days before he went to the cross. Now I have referred to those events, as most everyone else has, as Jesus cleansing the temple. But actually, that's a misnomer. When you cleanse something, it comes out clean and pure. If I come to your house and eat a meal, it's because I trust that you have cleansed 
the silverware and the plates before you have served it to me. But understand, the next day after both of those times that Jesus cleared the temple, let's call it clearing the temple, the very same blasphemous nonsense was back in full measure. He didn't cleanse the temple, and it's not because he couldn't cleanse the temple. He's going to do that just fine at his second coming. What Jesus was doing is he was showing his view and his father's view of what was going on in the temple. Those two events were uh, preludes or foretastes of the ultimate destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Look at what Jesus says about the situation in His own words. Matthew 15, 14, He says, Let them, and He's referring to the Pharisees, Let them alone, they are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So what did you get if you followed exactly what was being taught in the temple and in the synagogues through the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes in the days of Jesus. You were blind. You're going to end up in a pit. Now, he didn't just say it about them. He said it to them. Matthew 23, 15. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So understand, Jesus didn't come to make some tweaks in Judaism. He didn't come to reform it. He didn't come to improve it. He came to expose that what was being called true religion by those who taught such things was hellish. It sent people to the lake of fire. Clearly, the leaders of apostate Judaism needed to be removed. And Jesus said as much. Matthew 21, verse 43 and verse 45. He says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, the ones who were allegedly leading it at that time, and given to a people producing the fruit of it. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. Why did they want to kill him? Because he said, you're hypocrites, you're leading people to hell, you're children of hell, you're blaspheming. They they weren't disagreeing in any sort of a disagreeable fashion. It was mutually exclusive and contradictory views of everything. So, Jesus rebuked that entire system in words, but also by selecting a group of 12 nondescript laymen, none of whom came from the pedigrees of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. None of them came out of the religious establishment. And the number 12 was not an accident. He didn't do it one for each month or one for each egg in the crate. That's not what he was thinking about. It was not an accident. It represented the fact that in his kingdom, Jesus will give these 12 men, you're going to meet in a few minutes, the responsibility to rule over each of Israel's 12 tribes. Where do we get that? Well, Jesus said that. Luke 22, 28 to 30. He's speaking there to the apostles, and he said, 
You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom... If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.